When I was in college, my home church had a new pastor come, and I happened to be there for his first sermon. His name was Jim, so I liked him immediately. And I remember thinking it was a really good sermon. I, I, I can't go back now and tell you exactly what it was about, but I remember thinking, wow, like he made me laugh, and he kind of touched my heart, and I learned stuff, and it just it was a really good sermon. But the thing I remember most profoundly about that very first time he preached at my home church was the last thing he said. He said, I hope you liked my sermon because it's the only one I've got. <laughs> and I heard that and I was like, well, it was a good sermon, but I don't know what I want to hear it again next week. I think it's going to get old real fast after three or four. No, no kidding. I, I have thought about that line for the last well, 20 years. Um, and at first I thought about it because I was like, I, I, hope, I hope he's kidding. Um, and then I thought, boy, well, what an interesting idea, right? That well, I think what he was trying to communicate was I've got one message, right? And I'm going to tell that message every time I'm up here, right? Not literally the same sermon, but the same core message. Uh, and, and, and I wonder as we think about our job as Christians, what we're to go out there and do and talk about and accomplish. I wonder that sometimes maybe the gospel becomes one of our messages, right? Because there's so much to do. I mean, the Bible is full of instructions from God, and so we need to think about a lot of topics. We got, we got to think about how we personally can honor and obey God. We got to think about how as a society and a community, as the church and as the larger world, we're called to, to come into God's kingdom and honor Him fully. There's all this stuff the Bible talks about. So it would be very easy for us to say, hey, and one of the things the Bible talks about is this gospel thing. We've got we to remember to keep that in the, in the repertoire. But Jim said, no, I only got one sermon. The gospel isn't one message amongst many the church proclaims. It is the message we proclaim in everything. And everything else has its purpose and its value when and if it connects to the story of Jesus Christ. Uh, I got to tell you, sometimes I worry about uh, the, the story getting old, right? Sometimes I worry, boy, you know, I said that last week or, you know, seven years, six years ago, I, I told this illustration in church. I hope they don't remember it. Or, um, boy, I, I, but I, I believe the gospel doesn't get old, right? Uh, in fact, we're going to sing this later, but um, there's a beautiful hymn, I love to tell the story for those who know it best, same hungering and thirsting to hear it like the rest. Uh, this idea that there is one message, one story, one sermon that should come across in literally everything we do as believers is really powerful for me. And I think it is, it is really essential to what it means to move from being a disciple to an apostle. So there's a story in Acts chapter 6 where the church is having one of its first crises. Uh, and it's actually uh, a crisis about um, culture and race in the early Jerusalem congregation. So if you remember what's going on in Acts, there are, in a matter of a, a few weeks or months, thousands of Christians um, after Pentecost. And many of them are Christians 
who, they're all Jewish, of course. Many of them are Christians who are indigenous to the promised land, who live in Israel. Many more of them are Christians who are Jewish but Greek-speaking, who have come to Jerusalem for the pilgrimage festival and who live far away. But they stuck around because this thing called Pentecost happened and they got baptized and they're, and they're learning what it means to be followers of Jesus. And there's a conflict that emerges between the Greek-speaking Jews and the Hebrew or Aramaic-speaking Jews, right? The indigenous Jews and the, and the Jews from far away. And the Jews from far away say, hey, our widows and orphans, right, the most vulnerable parts of our church family are, are being neglected when you're handing out food. So we learn a couple of really important things about the church here. Number one, uh, the church is caring for its poorest members, right? They're, they're making sure there's enough physical um, nourishment to go around. Uh, and number two, um, they're, they're not doing a great job caring for everybody. The response of the apostles is really interesting. The first thing they do is say, this is a problem, we've got to fix it. And they appoint seven people to be in charge of the food distribution. All seven of them are Greek-speaking people, right? To say, hey, we're not handling this well. You came with the issue. We believe you. We're going to empower seven of you to be in charge of this. But then they say, um, it's important that you take care of this ministry because we cannot neglect the proclamation of the Word of God to wait on tables. And it's this fascinating moment where they say, hey, as important as feeding the poor is, as important as taking care of our family of faith is, as important as maintaining the church is, even more important than that is going and telling the story of Jesus. And what distinguishes us as apostles from um, some other leaders in our church is that we are so consumed with this one message that we have got to go and tell it. Now, if you stay with the book of Acts, uh, you notice something interesting. Those seven Greek-speaking Jewish Christians who are elevated to be in charge of the food distribution, every one of them we get a story about ends up becoming an apostle, right? And they don't become a big A apostle, but every one of them says, boy, if that's what matters, then not only am I going to do this well, but I'm going to go out and start telling stories about Jesus. And so we have Stephen and Philip, right, who become these great evangelists. The, the idea is that to move from just a disciple to an apostle is rooted in this recognition that there is nothing more important for us than to go and to tell the story of Christ. C.S. Lewis says it like this, the church exists for nothing else but to draw people into Christ, to make them little Christs. If they are not doing that, all the cathedrals, clergy, missions, sermons, even the Bible itself are simply a waste of time. So I believe uh, that one of the most important components of us moving forward from disciple to apostle is to recognize that we, every one of us, has a responsibility to go and to tell the story of God, not as one of our many sermons, but as the only sermon we got. So I think Jesus gives us some instruction about how to do that, and, and I, I love this passage in Matthew 10, but it's a difficult passage, right? I mean, there's some tough stuff in there. Um, but I want to pull out just a few ideas that help us think about how we go and tell the story of Jesus. Uh, so I want to talk about uh, letting the Spirit speak, telling everyone, and focusing on Jesus. Okay, letting the Spirit speak, telling everyone, and focusing on Jesus. And let's start with that first one, letting the Spirit speak. 
Jesus says, you're going to go out there and you're going to be persecuted. But then he says, do not worry about how you are to speak or what you are to say. For what you are to say will be given to you at that time. For it is not you who speak, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. I can't tell you how often I've had conversations with friends in the church who have said things like, hey, Jim, I, you know, I, I have people in my life that aren't believers and I really want to share the gospel with them, but I'm so afraid I'm going to get it wrong. I'm so afraid that I'll say the wrong thing or I'll, um, I'll come across as not educated enough or I won't have the right Bible verse ready and I'll make it worse instead of better. But what Jesus here is telling the disciples now the apostles, is it's not about your linguistic expertise, right? It's not about how biblically knowledgeable you are. It's not about whether you are a great debater or not. That what God wants from you is to show up and speak up and let the Holy Spirit do the rest. I am firmly convicted that not once in the history of humanity has anyone ever come to faith in Jesus Christ simply because of a good sermon, or a good evangelist, or a good debater, but that every person who's ever come to faith in Jesus Christ came because someone told them the gospel, and the Holy Spirit moved in that person's heart to help them accept it. The same Spirit that moves in people's hearts also moves in you, and you are equipped by that Spirit to speak whatever God needs them to hear. Uh, Nobody's hoping that you're going to be Billy Graham, right? Um, What they're hoping is that you'll be their friend, their family member, their coworker who loves them enough to speak about the one that you love. Um, by the way, do you know the difference between a parent and a grandparent? I mean, I, I know you know the difference, but he, here's my difference, okay? Uh, a parent has to be asked how their kids are doing. A grandparent only needs a 30-second window of silence to talk about how their grandkids are doing right? Is this true? Um, I can't remember the last time I had to ask a grandparent how their grandkids, it just pops out, right? The parents are new grandparents, and like any window of time they have, that's what we're talking about. I love it. Um, So what if we approached our faith in Jesus more like grandparents, right? What if we said, boy, you know, in any given opportunity, if I have a chance, I'm going to talk about the person that I love most in the world, the person that I think about most in the world, the person who, if I had a picture, my wallet would be filled with. What if we just said, hey, I I don't have to be the expert. I don't have to have all the answers. I don't need to be wise and brilliant. I'm just going to talk about who I love um, and let the Holy Spirit do the rest. So this is the job of a witness, right? What have you seen Jesus do? How has he touched your life? Who is the person you love more than any other in the world? And then let the Spirit do the rest. Okay, so first, let the Spirit speak. Uh, the second thing is to tell everyone. And I, and I really love how Jesus says this. So he says, Have no fear of them, for nothing that is covered up will not be uncovered. Nothing secret will not become known. What I say to you in the dark, tell in the light. And what you hear whispered, proclaim from the housetops. And literally Jesus is saying, Hey, you guys have been traveling with me for a while. And yes, I do some public preaching, but I've also taught you a lot, right, as disciples. And now that you have this information, I want you to go and share it with everybody else. But isn't that, 
exactly true for us, right? Isn't it the case that we come together on a, on a regular basis to worship Christ and, and read and study the Word of God? And, and this is like what's done in private, right? Just in the privacy of our family. And then Jesus says, I want you to take what you receive in private and make it public. I want you to take what you get in church and give it to the world, right? I, I want you to go tell everyone the story of my son, Jesus. Uh, Jesus has a parable, the, the parable of the sower. You guys know this one. There's a farmer who goes out to sow his seed, and he throws seed everywhere. Some of it goes on the path, some on the thorny ground, some on the rocky soil, and, and some on, on good soil. And, and, and the point, one of the points of that parable is Jesus isn't selective about who he's telling the gospel to. He doesn't say, oh, I, I just think this person wants to hear it, but this person's not ready. He doesn't say, oh, you know, I, um, I'll talk about it in, in church, but I don't want to talk about it somewhere else because it, it might not be the right time. He just says, no, just scatter the seed, right? Just literally go tell everyone, and God will work in the hearts of those who are called to believe. Uh, and, and by the way, he also says, um, you're not going to get everybody. Right? Jesus has more of the Holy Spirit in him than you will ever have and was a better preacher and teacher and knew more of the Bible than you will ever know, and lots of people didn't believe him, right? So don't be surprised if you share about your love of Jesus with someone and they don't immediately buy in. They didn't always buy in for him either. That's not the point. Just go tell everyone. Uh, by the way, um, I, I have a I have a pet peeve that comes up a lot, and I've shared this with you a number of times. There's an old quote that's sometimes attributed to St. Francis, and it says, uh, preach the gospel at all times, and when necessary, use words. And, and if you've heard me on this thing before, uh, it, it, that, that quote drives me crazy, <laughs> okay? It drives me crazy for two reasons. Number one, St. Francis didn't say it, uh, and St. Francis wouldn't say it because St. Francis was an evangelist who walked around talking about Jesus all the time. Um, but, but number two, you, you can't hear the story of Jesus through somebody's service to you, right? I mean, you can feel the love of God. And please hear this, the gospel should never be divorced from the love of God. I should never come to somebody and say, hey, let me tell you about the love of God without also showing and sharing that love. But just being kind and gracious and compassionate to someone is never going to let them know that 2,000 years ago there was a man named Jesus from Nazareth who died on a cross and rose from the dead and that through him they can be saved. you got to tell that story, right? And so Jesus says, take what you've learned and tell everybody. They're not all going to buy in, but they all need to hear. Go and proclaim the good news of the love of God. Uh, and then the third thing, really simple but really important, is to focus on Jesus. Uh, and, and he makes this super clear. Jesus says, everyone, therefore, who acknowledges me before others, I will acknowledge before my Father in heaven. But whoever denies me before others, I will also deny before my Father in heaven. I've been in a lot of situations, even in worship services, even in Presbyterian worship services, um, where people went to great lengths to avoid talking about Jesus. Maybe you have too, and, and let's be honest, I kind of get it, right? I mean, the, the cross is a really difficult and challenging and, and kind of 
almost horrific idea that this horrible thing happened to this guy we love, and, and the resurrection is not something that happens very often. I don't know anybody else other than Jesus who died and is still alive today. And to be honest, you know, the, the idea that there is one way to come to know God is, is pretty challenging in our culture that wants to affirm that everybody can go whatever way they want and get to the same destination. Um, but Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for the salvation for everyone. Jesus has always been the most compelling and the most repelling, the most attractive and the most divisive, the most comforting and the least comfortable part of our faith from the very beginning. But that is the heart of our story. The heart of our proclamation is about the love of God that was made manifest in the God-man Jesus, uh, that was displayed in its fullness on the cross that was proven victorious in the empty tomb. That's the only story we've got to tell. It's not just that it's our only sermon we want to preach. Without it, we got no sermon. Without it, we got nothing to talk about as a church and as the people of God. Paul says there's no believing without hearing. There's no hearing without speaking. We got to talk about Jesus. And I believe that once you've experienced the incredible love of Christ, once you know what it is to, to truly recognize that you have screwed up in this life and that Christ through His sacrifice has made it right with God again, it's hard not to talk about His story. You guys may remember the account of Francis Gaginistic and Maximilian Kolbe. Um, they were two Polish prisoners in Auschwitz during World War II. Uh, Francis Gaginistic was a Polish army sergeant and Maximilian Kolbe was a Catholic priest. One day, a prisoner escaped from Auschwitz, and the camp director or the, the monster running the place decided that to deter future escapes, he would randomly select 10 people and execute them in a, in a starvation bunker, put them underground until they ran out of food and water. So there was a roll call with the whole camp gathered together, and ten men were selected, and one of those men randomly was a guy named Francis Gaginistic. And when they called Francis' name, he, he fell to his knees. He didn't cry out for himself. He cried out, my wife and my children. Just a little bit further down the line was this guy named Maximilian. Uh, and Maximilian, at that moment, stepped out of line. And he looked at one of the guards and he said, hey, I know this guy a little bit. And look, I'm a Catholic priest, so I don't have a wife and I don't have children. Can I take his place? Can I just, it's just random, can I just take his place and let him take mine? And the guards allowed it. And Maximilian Colby and nine other individuals were placed in that bunker and for two weeks, they went without food and water. The story is that as people came down, uh, guards came down to check on them. They, they found often Colby, the priest, praying with the other men condemned with him. At least one time, someone snuck in a tiny amount of bread and juice so that he could celebrate the sacrament of communion with those who were condemned. And at the end, Colby was the last man surviving and... Because the 
Nazis wanted their bunker back, they executed him with a lethal injection. Francis Gaginistic, however, had a different story. He survived Auschwitz uh, and ultimately was reconnected with his family. And he spent the rest of his life as a Christian traveling and telling people about this guy named Maximilian Kolbe who literally gave his life that he might live. And he said again and again, there is nothing more important in my life than telling the incredible story of love that I experienced and a man who died for me that I could live. And that's our story. That's our only sermon. That's the only message we have to proclaim. And what it means for us to be moving forward from disciples to apostles is simply to recognize that the old, old story of Jesus and His love needs to be told. Some have never heard the message of salvation from God's own holy word. So as you consider your calling today, I hope that you think about what it means to move forward from disciple to apostle, to tell the only sermon that matters, the only sermon that you know personally. And I pray that you will focus on Jesus, you will tell everyone, and you will let the Spirit speak and trust that God will handle everything else. Thanks be to Him. Amen.